I really hope that that's the message that comes across and I'm pretty sure it does because I've made some pretty amazing connections that, yeah, that I never thought I'd be able to, that I never dreamed I'd be able to make. I didn't realize that was a possibility when I first started wanting to be a teacher. It must have been, must have been a pretty subconscious thing that I wanted those connections. But when it started to happen, I kind of realized who I wanted to be. Okay, welcome or welcome back to the Map Life podcast. I am Simon Williams, the founder of Motivation and Performance Partners, mindset and performance coaching for athletes, artists, and leaders, and I'm the creative director of the Stampede Trail. And the reason I started this podcast was to take a trip into the treasure chest of high performers, world-class athletes and coaches, international artists, and seriously influential community leaders to discover the strategies they use to achieve what they've achieved, how they're able to walk the Valley of Shadows and overcome these challenges, but also how they stay on top of their own mental health and wellness in order to live their most inspired life. Now, I've made sure that each conversation will offer you insights and tools to take away to implement in your own life for greater personal and professional achievement, happiness, and fulfillment. Now, if you're a fan of this podcast, the guests, the conversations or the takeaway strategies that we are able to offer you by delivering these conversations, hit subscribe, or if you've already done that, bounce it out to a few mates, let them know what's going on in this podcast. The more people that we can impact in a positive, influential way, the greater the opportunity they have of improving their lives for both achievement and happiness and ultimately fulfillment. Okay, guys and girls, on today's podcast, we have National Live Music Award nominated and ARIA Award nominated, lead singer of Luca Brasi, my mate Tyler Richardson. Now, Tyler is one of the most authentic and genuine people in Australia, if not the planet. Um, His artistry is second to none, and we do discuss a lot of his creative process in this next conversation. We also discuss the importance he places on beliefs values, meaning, and mentoring. And also at one stage in his life, he felt directionless and really had to dig deep and listen to the gong of the soul and follow that in order to become the man who he is today. This took a rite of passage, which we also discuss, but one of the most important and powerful parts of the conversation is when he opens up and gets real about becoming a teacher. He really does give a lot of great insights to any mother or father out there who are looking after and raising adolescents. Uh, so yeah, sit back and enjoy my conversation, my very heartfelt and in-depth conversation with my man, Tyler Richardson. Ty, mate, welcome in. Welcome to the podcast, buddy. Thanks, mate. Thanks for having me, man. Stoked to be here. Yeah, mate. Really looking forward to uh, catching up again and having a um, having an in-depth chat about artistry and creativity um it's going to be real fun so mate wanted to um i guess for those guys out there who don't know much about you personally um give us a bit of the history of uh of tyler richardson uh man uh i'm from tasmania i'm from skamander on the east coast uh, i went to school a little place called st helens i grew up surfing uh skateboarding listening to music Eventually playing music when I was a kid, I played guitar heaps. Um, when I was young in high school, we mucked around in bands and whatnot. And then I kind of moved away from the East Coast, moved up to Launceston in the Northeast. Um, went to college, uh, dropped out, started a job as a boilermaker welder, finished my apprenticeship, sort of worked around the country in all sorts of places um, as a boilermaker. Started the band on my swings home. The band kind of took over my my life at the time and I kind of stopped working away. Um, stopped, you know, stopped working as a boilermaker altogether, went back to uni, uh, got a teaching degree and the band that I'm in, uh, Luca Brasi was kind of just going in between that. And I've kind of either been on tour or in the last kind of maybe eight years been teaching or away um, with the band. So life's kind of been a pretty crazy and different trip from where it started out from being some kid from, uh, Scamander and going surfing to some, uh, 
uh, Boilermaker World or Apprentice. So then playing the band and being a teacher and teacher's kind of been the biggest part of my life for a little while outside of the band. Yeah, I think um, I don't think many people know um, the 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 dual career that you that you have, and I think we're going to touch a little bit on that later on in terms of your influence over over the youth, um, both with the band and um, and inside and outside the classroom. Um, but you said you you moved for you know you moved from Scamander for college. Um, what was what was the transition like there? Were you excited? Was it was it a bit daunting? Were you just trying to get out of a small town? I think it was a mix of all those things, man. Like going up in Scamander, there's there's amazing beaches. There's like there's nothing else. So like by the time I was sixteen, I was ready. I was so into punk rock, but you could, there's no there's no pubs, let alone venues. So I really wanted to go and see shows and talk to people about music, man. So it was pretty exciting to be getting, I guess, in a sense, getting out. But when I say getting out, I'm talking like two hours away and you can come back on the bus every weekend. But you can live those, you know, it was pretty exciting for me to be from a kid in a town with no streets to traffic lights even. So it was pretty exciting to go. I just, I just wanted to be a part of music and to meet different people, man, at the time. And at that age, uh, what was that, 18, 19? I think I was 16 when I moved out of home. Awesome. Wow. Yeah. So I was pretty young. I was pretty impressionable. And at, even at 16, can you run me through, I guess, your mindset at 16? In term, Were you mature? I mean, stereotypically, surfer, skaters of, of uh, any, any realm um, aren't necessarily stereotypically that way, but I think that is all changing. And I think the... Um, so this is why I was asking at 16, do you think that you, were, you had your head screwed on? Do you, were you a little bit loose? Um, and what gave you the confidence to think that you could pull it off? I think I was pretty headstrong. Um, I think I also thought I was pretty fucking, in t- I mean, I don't mean, can I be swearing on here? You I can didn't swear t- as much as you want. <laughs> <laughs> I think I thought I was pretty fucking intelligent. Um, and I also thought I was pretty cool. Um, but when I was a 16 year old kid and I thought I'd just be like this, you know, go to this town and, uh, I, I thought I had everything sorted out, but I think I just was pretty directingless at the same time. I was you know, I didn't really know. I just knew I was going to get out. Um, in saying that, I, you know, I was going to live by myself at 16 for the first time and I had no issues doing that. I could always look after myself. Um, my mum and dad kind of set me up that way in a really positive way. Uh, you know, I always did all my own stuff. I had a lot of freedom, but with that sort of came responsibility to do the right thing in a way. Um, I guess I was getting loose and being 16 as well, but there's always a back of my mind, I knew it had to be at least somewhat responsible, if that makes sense. Yeah, it sure does. I mean, it sounds like, yeah. you, you know, you curated or you, your parents helped you curate independence from an early age, um, which gives an individual of, you know, going through those formative teenage years, confidence in themselves that they can handle themselves, whether they're in a small town or in a big city. Um, back in the, in the small town, run me through, did you have any close pals or a real, like a best mate that you were leaving and, and, you know, um, how was that? It was it was really strange, but um, it was kind of a uh, really f- uh, familiar story to me because where we grew up, you had to leave to go and uh, to go to college and do further education. So you know, my brother had left. A lot of my friends had already gone to Hobart or to Launceston. So we kind of knew what we we're in for in that sort of sense as well. Like you knew you were going to eventually have to go if you wanted to keep. Growing. doing anything else it, you know what i mean yeah growing if you could get a job as a builder um then brilliant you know if your dad was a builder a lot of my mates would go and do that but um that wasn't an option for me so i wanted to go to i wanted to go um so i had a lot of mates that sort of came to lonnie at the same time or were already there but then i had the other half which was the boys who went to hobart so it was kind of one of the other for us um so it was really strange but generally the coast had was always a meeting point where everyone would go back to so it generally wasn't that long until you saw everyone again. Most people would still come home on the weekends and, uh, you know, do their washing and go to the pub, like sneak into the pub when we were 16 and go surfing and stuff. So like we were still around. Um, but it's, it's funny because those people that I was hanging out with then at school are still my best mates now. And funnily enough, Pat from the band, I went to kindergarten with and we've still been friends since then. So it's a pretty tight knit place. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like a, a somewhat a rite of passage almost for um, for guys in your area or for guys from smaller towns. It's you knew that it was going to come up at some point in time if you wanted to get out 
if you didn't have the, the skills or the trade, you had to do it. Otherwise you're going to get stuck and, and who knows, you know, what could happen from there. But, you know, you make that transition. Was Pat, uh, as you said, you, you knew him in kindergarten. Did he make the transition with you or later? So we were same grade, um, but Pat went to Hobart. So that was that split, you know, that really strange thing. But that was really cool because Pat was uh, hanging out in a music scene in Hobart that was really flourishing at the time with young punk bands. And he was at a really good, he was at a college where a lot of musos came out of. So it was really cool because I spent a lot of time going down to, like, down to Hobart and making that trip to go see bands play because it was a bigger place. And we were at the time getting touring bands and touring punk bands that I was in love with rocking up to Hobart for the very first times. So it was a really cool period of being, you know, from 16 to, I guess, maybe 19, where there all these bands coming from America that had no right to be coming to Hobart in the first place. It was just awesome. And you mentioned the word directionless before. Um, and, and again, tell me if, if this hits, hits strikes a good chord or, or, or a wrong one, but in that state, it almost sounds like the mind seemed directionless because it didn't have a set purpose or a set goal or a set X, Y, Z. But in that point in time, you knew music was what really lit the soul on fire and you just followed. That was your direction. Your direction was where was the punk scene? Where was the music? Where was my crew? Where was my community? Where's the music? And you followed that. And, it's, and it's, so you kind of guided yourself through the soul rather than through the mind, which is kind of what we're brought up to think is that we need to have our head screwed on to know to know where we're going. But so often we get cut off at the at you know at that heart and, and the soul space that we guys like yourself would if they didn't live from that space, they wouldn't be uh wouldn't be where they are today. You know? Um, and I think yeah, this is man, yeah. this I think this is the beauty of, of being a creative artist. And I think I think every human being has got a lot more creativity than they think. It's just if they sort of started to dig and allow ourselves to live more in that lower chest and even into the soul that you'd find there's a lot more ignition there's a lot more fuel down there than a lot of people think and I, but I think you tapped into that early um, and having confidence on the one hand to be able to look after yourself um, it sounded like it would have been a super exciting time just absorbing you know everything that lit your soul on fire man I think you're dead right I was I was actually I was speaking directly and let's just like you said um, I didn't know what I wanted to be but like I, I talk to kids now at school and they're like 15, 16, they feel that pressure of they're like, oh, I don't know what to do next year when I go to college. But now with some, I guess, some life experience, I, mean, I just say to them, like, you have so much time to work this out. I mean, keep your options open. Do do enough stuff now that you can do something later on if you want to. But fuck, you were 16 years old. And I felt like I didn't get that, um, you know, I didn't hear that at the time when I was 16. It was like, you need to go do this you need to study these subjects if you're going to do this at uni i was like what the fuck i don't know what i was going to do at uni but um so i think you're dead right i meant directionless definitely came from a feeling of not knowing what i wanted to do um but i knew where i wanted to be because like you said i was drawn to listening to music i just wanted to go hear these bands but also meet people that listen to these bands that i didn't get a chance to meet when i was growing up because there wasn't that big a pool of people to hang out with so just opening up this huge expanse of a place as small as Launceston is was a huge opener for me, man. So, yeah, so you arrive in Lonnie or even when you're down in Hobart and there's just these these shows are on, these bands are in, are on playing these shows. You've got the, the energy in the room. You know, what is it about the scene that attracted you specifically to it and then to almost become, you know, a leader of it in, in, your, in your state, if not the country? I think the energy was such a huge part of it, man. I went to some of those early shows and I would look around the room and think, I don't know who these people are and be staring around this room going, but they feeling, they're feeling exactly the same thing I'm feeling right now, which is what drew me to it to start with. I went to a show, I would have been 17, um, a band against me from Gainesville playing like 150 cap sweat pit in Launceston and them being just as excited about the energy that was coming back at them. And I've never had a more formative experience than that particular show. Um, and seeking out those people and that feeling became everything that I wanted, you know, and that's, I think you're dead right. Um, it made me feel like there is a place where I guess in a sense belong more than you actually do already somewhere else. Yeah. hundred percent made the belonging. And I mean, if you ask any 16 year old kid what they want to feel and they're just, 
I, if you get to the core of it, it's belonging. I want to feel like I belong and I matter. Um, yeah, 100%. And when you find, you know, you find your community, which you have, it's almost like, all right, now I can start to dream a little bit here. What are we doing? And, and at what age did you and the boys start to pick the instruments up together? So I think I must have been about 20. Um, I guess I was almost kind of finished my apprenticeship and all that sort of shit. And, you know, I, I stopped playing guitar for years because I just got sucked into a world of just like, going to work and partying and I was just just young and having having fun in what I considered to be quite a big city at the time um but then my mate Tom who was a year below me um he moved up to Lonnie and he was playing guitar still and he's like man we got a are you still playing guitar and I was like no I haven't really touched it for a long time I might pull out like a Paul Kelly cover when I was pissed or something um but he's like man you gotta come around we're just gonna play again and he just basically forced me to come and start playing I I didn't write or sing you know at the time, but he's like, you're the singer. Um, we need you to write some words. So let's go hang out and uh, let's do that. And it kind of, we pl- picked up a few covers and then we actually wrote a couple of songs and we were playing this at a couple of parties and people were really responding to it. And it was kind of like, this is actually happening in a strange way. And it was a, this most low key thing, but our mates knew the words to these songs that we'd written on acoustic guitars. We weren't playing as a band we'd be at a party and we'd be playing these songs rather than the cover songs we usually played. Mate, just as a, as a singing your praises, as a, thing, as a songwriter, lyricist, I think you're fantastic. I really, I really um, are in, am in tune or in harmony with what you talk about in your lyrics. And, and I, as I said, it makes the experience of your music with Luca Brasi just so much more enjoyable. Your songwriting from that early stage, it, it's almost like poetry when we're writing lyrics. How did a kid who'd never written lyrics before, who'd never written poetry, I'm guessing, gain the confidence to, to not only to share his most vulnerable feelings and thoughts by pen, but then to actually get up and then present it to a crowd of people and say, this is me at my most vulnerable. I think you're right, man. I think like, you know, I had no concept of what I, what writing a song was, but I'd heard so much music and I was trying to respond to, and I guess emulate in the early days, especially the ones that really hit home to me and that was i guess at the time and it's kind of still a big undercurrent i'm such a sucker for nostalgia and like that romanticism and creating that that feeling and trying to latch onto that that one moment that i first felt when i was 17 in that room with against me when i was 21 and writing those songs it became our first record it was all like every song when there is like dumb grab that moment you know whether you're at a party or at anything it was all about that one feeling that you're trying to create and to talk about and that was that was getting the response from people when we were coming up that i wanted to achieve i guess to feel that same way that i felt and early on as you said you're getting people feeling the music what was the response like once the the show had finished was there people coming up to you and and you know discussing lyrics and and songs with you or were there girls and stuff coming up to you sort of saying, yeah, I really feel you, you, you know, your, your, your sensitivity or what was the response after the shows about the songs? So, I mean, after that, after we started being uh, dumb and playing acoustic guitars, a couple of the mates at the time were like, hey, I play drums, I play guitar, let's actually go and do something. So we, we, put it, we made a demo CD. Fuck, this is showing how long ago. We actually made a demo CD and... um handed it out to all the mates and everyone had it. It was on MySpace. And that's when it started to get a bit of attention. We played our first show. And because we had so many mates, this is the other thing that I was talking about that I think is really important with the story of this band is the community thing from where we came from because a bunch of us shifted from where we were and all kind of went together to somewhere else or somewhere pretty close. So we played our first show to all these people I know have stories of playing first shows to no one. We played a first show to like 200 of our friends. So it was this really amazing feeling of holy fuck we've just played this show and i think the best thing with our band at the time was that kind of had friend groups that were circulating within each other and bringing other friend groups in and all of a sudden we had these amazing vibe atmosphere shows where people were really connecting and like you said we're all kind of the same age we're all kind of doing the same stuff and i think a lot of people you know when we were 20 21 going through the same things and they could hear what I was talking about is what they felt or what they were doing. They were really responding to that. And that was the cool feeling of knowing that you were doing something that was getting an emotional response from someone who's a similar person to you or is doing similar things to you. And I've always said and felt and thought that 
music is very much like a religion, you know. It's um, the beliefs, the values, and the meaning that is placed in songs and lyricism and, and adding sort of performance and, and um, soundscapes to it like they do in church, you know, really evokes the feeling in the audience that they are, then you're creating a belonging. And um, it make and it helps people feel like they believe in something. And people, that's what again they want to believe and they want to belong. And then as a musician, that's the kind of fan base or the kind of dedication you're creating with when you're being vulnerable. And I, I think, and this is why I was asking about your song lyrics because I think all your fans, and whether it's down in Launceston where everybody bands together, or Hobart or Tassie, it's a real community vibe down there. Or it's Australia wide. I think the vulnerability in your lyrics. And the ability for your band to back that up with the soundscapes that they do brings everybody into a, a place of I'm connecting with this this guy on, on a personal level. Um, I'm connecting with a band on a personal level, and and they're singing about stuff that that I feel. So therefore, I'm going to believe, you know. And I feel like I belong, so I believe. Totally, man. I think that church analogy is so perfect, man. I think that a lot of people, you know, don't think they have any sort of affiliation to anything that is it might not have to be religious based but that saturday night show at their local venue is their church for 100 percent, and those people that are there with them are their fucking i don't know what you call church mates <laughs> church mates <laughs> i don't know but they're that's their people that's who they're with and that person on the stage and those people at that that's that one moment in time like i was kind of considering this when you were speaking it's i keep taking it back to that one moment where you have that connection to that song, that moment, that person next to you, that person on the stage, it's all just such a feeling of I'm in the place where I need to be right now for me and how I feel. This is taking away everything that I don't need and making me focus on what I need right now and this is where I need to be. Yeah, and I think music is is one of those creative outlets or expressions that allows you to be so present. Um, and I think, and tell me, as I said, because... Uh, you you know you've been up on the stage looking down at crowds of thousands and there's the the moment where everybody's singing in unison the lyrics that you're taught you're singing and there's this huge energy exchange and it's such a present moment that the energy is so strong but and then all of a sudden someone puts their phone in the air to record it it's almost like they're taking themselves out of the present moment what's it like up there just to see phones rather than faces i feel yeah i mean it is funny because it does feel like a foreign object in a room where it shouldn't belong. Um, it feels like, you know, you're just sticking this thing out and you're looking through the screen and it takes away, it's a barrier to that connection. I absolutely feel it is. Um, as much as I love being able to have some, the next day you're going to have a look on Instagram and see what people have been filming and see what you've been doing. Like, you know, that's really nice, but I'm shocking for it because I, I can never remember to take my phone out. And I always think it's a bad thing, but maybe... It, Maybe it's a good thing because I, I feel like that connection is broken by this, yeah, a foreign object. It's like a, the wrong instrument in the band is being played. <laughs> you know what I mean? Kind of, it's just, just yeah. I, I love that present moment where someone is screaming their guts out and their last thought is putting their hand in their pocket and getting their phone. Let's make sure that the audience understands. You're not saying that you, you don't want it at your, at your shows because as you said, that recollection and for people to do whatever they want at your shows, if that's how they want to express themselves, then sure. That's what I'm hearing from you. But in order to really feel what you're singing and what the band's given you, you need to, you, there can't be anything in between. The screen's got to move so that you can connect directly. Totally, man. I, people, I love it when people take videos. I love people take photos. So whatever the hell you want. But that, I think that one moment where you're just so connected that you, you couldn't care you know, about anything else apart from what you have. And if you manage to lock eyes with someone in that moment, it's such, such a cool feeling, man. And I, I wish that was... Uh, I wish I was doing that tonight for sure. <laughs> and and that's the thing when you're in those moments in the crowd where if if you're present enough and you're into it enough, you're not even thinking about recording it because you're not thinking about, oh, I should put this on Instagram or I sh it's just like, man, I'm here and I'm now and this performance is just my whole body is tingling because of what we're listening to and seeing and experiencing. Have you? Do you remember a specific moment from a band um, where you either connected with the singer when you were young or even now, or when you experienced that explosion or that firework within with what they were singing and doing and playing? Absolutely, man. I, I still go back to those first shows. I, I, it's so funny. I have a pretty bad memory, but those early shows when I come to Hobart and I, 
I really amazing when I went to a house show and it was just some local punk bands playing and I walked in there with like, I think I might have six pack in my hand and I had an open beer and then the song started and a second later, everything in my hands was just gone. Like it just turned this explosion in this room and that's, I have really, two really vivid memories. One is just thinking, what the fuck just happened just then? Like this room just went insane and blew up and I realized how pumped everyone was. No one knew who the bands were. No one cared. It was just like, we're all here for the same thing and that is an amazing moment. But that one of that, those early um, Against Me shows in Salamanca in Hobart were just like such a transformative experience in my life that I really can never forget them. Did they inspire something within you to want to do that? Because um, there's a bit of a gap in time between those. Did something spark within you in terms of like a bit of aspiration or ambition or was it more that it just planted a seed and then later on it, it started to grow? I think it absolutely planted the seed. I don't think I knew it at the time, but subconsciously I was so stoked to be a part of that. But when I got a little bit older and I started playing in the band, I realized that I wanted to be, I guess, a bigger part of that and to actually have an influence myself rather than just being, uh, or rather than just being a part of the machine, I wanted to be a bigger part of the machine, I guess, and have a band that was responsible for making people feel those feelings. I guess that's what it comes down to with, with me and my life in general. I want people to have a positive experience in their life and to feel those joys that that became a big part of me that I kind of didn't realize existed now for this podcast I've handpicked some brands with game-changing products that you can get your hands on to take your performance to the next level Hybration Organics are an independent Aussie company they are inspiring a community with their ethos and products they are awesome all ethically sourced chaga lion's mane cordyceps cacao and maca from sustainable organic micro farms meaning small batch which also means their quality is unbeatable now if you don't know the health benefits of some of these things let me inform you right now it's unbelievable chaga the immune system support it fights inflammation slows down the aging process lion's mane nerve repair in the brain can reduce mild anxiety and depressive symptoms cordyceps can boost exercise performance anti-aging heart health and maca increase libido energy endurance mood helps fight free radicals and all these shrooms are anti-cancer now personally i use their products on the regular their three pillars mushroom blend i always put in my smoothies and my coffee and i love the incan warrior with its blend of potent cordyceps and peruvian maca <clears throat> and their focus flow blend is as really as good as it gets as it sharpens the mind and opens the heart which is great when you're coaching people to become more and achieve more with their lives now to get your hands on some of these epic goodies, the legends over at Hybration Organics have given you, the MapLife family, a whopping 25% off your order. So head on over to the Hybration Organics website, that's H-I-G-H-B-R-A-T-I-O-N Organics, that's H-I-G-H-B-R-A-T-I-O-N Organics.com.au and use the code MAPLIFE25, that's M-A-P-P-L-I-F-E 25 at checkout. And then once you do that, jump on socials. Let me know of how that's impacted your life, how it's impacted your physiology. And let's let the good times keep on rolling. It's great to hear somebody vocalize that, um, whether it's to themselves or to a friend or an audience of however many thousand. Um, it, it, it definitely comes through in your persona. As I said, the, the times we've hung out and had a beer or we've had a conversation, there's a, as I said, there's a real warmth to, to your presence in, and um and I think that comes from that vulnerability that you show that you've been able to show through your your writing and your lyrics that you live it you live in a space down here as I said in the soul and the heart um and that then is able to portray through the voice and then come out through the mind and then out through the top which is that firework experience and there's no I've, there's no wonder that you've be, become an educator or a teacher in the classroom let's not shy away from it. You know, you've said fucking shit and a few times already on this already. Um, and in your lyrics, there's a, a lot of swearing. So how, A, how do the students handle that? And B, how does the principal handle that? Um, I think they're pretty cool, to be honest. Um, I, I teach um, like woodwork and metalwork. So I guess um, I really wanted to, to teach to connect with, you know, with those sort of areas and perhaps those kids that, that needed that in that space. Um, and I, I guess I, and I try to be professional 
as much as I can, but I definitely slip into some of those habits. Um, <laughs> I don't know how I'm answering this question. I definitely try and watch, you know, what I'm saying and where I'm at the right moment. But I also feel like kids, kids can see through someone who's fake quicker than any adult can, in my opinion, man. They will, they will catch you in the first conversation that most of them have with you. And if you're not open and honest with them, they will probably never open up to you. And they probably shouldn't either because why should they? But if you can give them, I'm not saying this has to be about, you know, you don't have to swear at them or to them, but if you can be who you are, they'll pick up on it instantly and you'll get a connection that you wouldn't get otherwise. 100%. Couldn't agree with you more. The the, the relationship to have with, with emerging um, or, you know, adolescent boys or girls is, is you know, that you've got to be real, you've got to relate and you've got to have rapport. Um, so if you're a, as an as an adult or as a parent, rearing a child from zero to seven is a lot different from seven to fourteen, which is a lot different from fourteen to to twenty. You've got to put a different hat on, and you've got to, as I said, you've got to get real, you've got to relate, and you've got to have that rapport with them. Other without those, especially from from a mentor point of view, like yourself, as you said, they just see straight through it, don't they? And then they can they, absolutely, yeah, yeah. They look at you and they're like, man, this guy's he's he's not he's not real. But as I said some of these kids who have heard your lyrics or heard your music before they step into the classroom, you have like two lines straight up, lined up pretty straight in, in your classroom, ready to go for guys looking to get into Mr. Richardson's classroom. It's like, it's, it's not going to be any bullshit. There's going to be, it's going to be real life and it's going to be told, but compassionately, as I said, because you live from a place of, of soul and heart, you know? That's it, man. That's what I wanted to be. I mean, I, I know that getting these kids to be able to, I don't know. I know that all these educational foundational stuff is super important, but in my philosophy and who I want to be as a teacher, the number one thing is that they feel safe, they feel uh, open, they have a they have a place where they can vent, they have a place where that they need time out, man. They can be who they want to be, and I feel like you get such a better response out of kids if they, within reason, if they have boundaries where they can say to you, "Hey, I." Today, I can't do this, man. I need to go outside. I need to go and sit. I need to talk to you about this. And if you are coming from a place of, no, smash, 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 do this, do this, you're not helping anyone in my opinion, man. I feel like that is so secondary in who I want to be as a teacher. It's great that they can, you know, I really want them to make stuff and design stuff and achieve in that way. But if they can come down and leave, you know, my lesson or my classroom and feel like they've been valued and they have... Yeah, I don't know. I'm pretty passionate about the fact that they need to leave feeling better than they came or at least the same way. Yeah, that's awesome. You know, every kid should be able to walk through the school gates no matter what's going on outside of them and feel safe and secure and, and feel valued, as you said. And, you know, whatever schools or school that you're working at at the moment, I mean, it, it starts in your classroom and then spreads out through the through the playgrounds. And I'm sure that the kids who are listening from your school are um, are all nodding their head going, yes, sir. <laughs> You're the man. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, I, I, I hope so, man. I, yeah. I really, yeah. I really hope that that's the message that comes across. And I'm pretty sure it does because I've made some pretty amazing connections that, yeah, that I never thought I'd be able to, that I never dreamed I'd be able to make. I didn't realize that was a possibility when I first started wanting to be a teacher. It must have been, must have been a pretty subconscious thing that I wanted those connections. But when it started to happen, I kind of realized who I wanted to be. The, the heart, if it's full, always wants to give. There's no thought when your heart is full of take, take, take. It's all about giving, giving, sharing, being with someone, providing, loving. So that, I mean, it sounds like, as I said, living from that heart space and that soul space, you, you're, you're full and you're able to give and give and give to these guys and you want to give back as a mentor. Um, you want to give back as a teacher. You want to give back. Can you name any specific moments in, in your teaching career where, you've just, again, felt that same feeling of belonging or the, the firework, you know, where the, the body starts to tingle that you've made a huge difference to one kid's life? I think definitely, man. I think the first time that, um, you know, I had, a, I had a kid especially who was had no chance of making it through the school year. Uh, I didn't know him from a bar of soap. But we got there, man. He, he got through high school and he uh, got an apprenticeship. He had a girlfriend, he got, got a house together, all this amazing stuff. And he just messaged you one day saying like, you have no idea that I never would have ever been able to make it through, not just high school, but that, later, that, but that part of my life in general, if you weren't there. And I was just like, holy fuck. 
that was the most powerful, probably one of the most powerful, probably the most powerful conversation I've ever had in my life. And what a gift that Pretty is. Pretty heavy shit. <laughs> Sorry, mate, what was that? <laughs> Pretty heavy shit, man, even thinking about it. But yeah, it's such a gift and it was incredible. Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm, I'm not doing video here, but um, the, the, the reaction that you're giving me on this, I can see you now is, um, man, that's why you do it. You know, and um, as I said, I think those guys out there and girls who are who are part of your world are, you know, and that's in the same with the music, man. That you're making the same same inroads and the same impact that you have with with your music and your band. And it's not just four guys having a good time; it's four guys having a good time and bringing people together and making them feel valued and worthwhile and and worthy um, and belonging. And uh, I think, as I said, that's that's the gift. I mean, you might have the gift of music and be able to put a song together and you, everyone might think, oh man, the rock star, you got thousands of people in the crowd, but it gives back just as much as it gives. I mean, as much as you're able to receive, isn't it? Absolutely, man. Um, yeah, that's always kind of what we've always tried to do as a band to make a community and to, yeah, it's fucking awesome. It's the most transformative experience I've ever had Um it changed who I was as a person. It gave me confidence. It made me more caring about people. Just all these things, man. Yeah, it's crazy. And I guess um, this is a really, uh, I guess, a strategic question for, I think, for any adults out there who have got uh, teenage boys or girls. It's, do you have any strategies that you use in the classroom to set it up so that that rapport, that reality, that realness is created? I think a big one is they always talk about, especially at my school, is getting to know, uh, knowing every kid's story and knowing every kid by name and by need is a, is a statement I always use. So a really big thing is to try and understand the person as a whole in a holistic sort of way, which is coming from a humanistic sort of standpoint is so important because you need to know what that person needs at that time. And to have a sense of that is really giving the chance, giving the kid or the person a chance to let you know their story. Um, I think that also comes on, gives, I think it also takes a bit of time and maybe, maybe not coming on too strong is a, another thing you need to get, give them a chance to open up if they need it. Some kids will open up straight away. Some will take you a few months, but if you can find a hook that gets them without it being, you know, just like, a, just without it being a hook to get them, if you know what I mean, you're doing these things are giving them a chance to show, for those kids to show you who they are if you can relate on that level and find something that you both care about or you both love or just anything at all, if you give them a chance to let them know something, to let you know something about them, then they will instantly feel valued, man. They have a part in the conversation as well. It's not just you talking at them. Yeah. And I think what you're saying, and again, jump in if, if I'm, uh, if I'm not, but there's people out there that ask questions and then there's people out there that ask questions because they want to know the answer. Some people ask questions because they want to talk and some people ask questions because they're actually genuinely interested in you as a human, your story, what the response is going to be. And then how can I actively listen and respond to that so that we can grow a deeper relationship or an intimate relationship and intimacy, you know, don't get that wrong. It's not, it's not kiss cuddle stuff. It's, it's the vulnerability, sharing vulnerabilities where you get intimate. We get intimate as, as, as best mates. You get intimate as, as, as partners, but, um, developing that depth of trust is where where you're going to get the most inroads because no one or no kid is going to do anything for anybody unless they trust that you have their safety if they're going to give you their vulnerability and they're going to give you what they they are guarding so tightly because they're scared that anyone's going to break it if they give that to you they need to trust that you're going to look after it and i think that's exactly what you're saying in terms of having solid consequences not with with any kind of physical punishment but it's it's with a um it's with purposeful punishment or consequences that matter to them and mean to them then they can relax and settle and learn and grow and progress the way that that we want them to in the environment where we know that we have our best control and then obviously what you're talking about is adding in that okay now i've got instead of worrying about your behavior I'm, i've got time to talk to you about your story i've got time to talk to you about where you want to go, what you want to do. We've got time to invest in your future. We're not worried about you nicking off out of here and throwing this in, inside the classroom, you know? Man, totally. I absolutely love the point about um, 
asking a question because you want to know the answer. You, you know, you, you, everyone's been through it in their life where someone will pay you this surface level of interest, but they're just they're just going through the motions. But if if someone understands that you really have a level of caring and you want them to succeed, you want the best for them. If they can understand that, then they're going to give you answers that make that level of trust that you're talking about. Completely, mate. Completely. Um, and I love what you said before about by name and by need. So where did you learn that little strategy? I actually learned that from my principal at the moment. And I always love that one. It's funny the things you don't realize you really, that you take in and actually try and uh, proactively do. Because I hadn't even thought of that statement, but it was something when I first heard it, I was like, fuck, that's, that actually means something to me. And uh, if you put that into practice, yeah, you hear all those little like, uh, what they call them like TLAs, like three letter acronyms for things. But <laughs> always like, you know, the latest and greatest thing. But that by name and by need, was such an important one for me and it really like really rang true with me when it actually goes into practice in the classroom and with just pe people in everyday life man yeah I, I can't stress enough that if people think that you care about them they'll put their guard down and they'll give you something back yeah um mate looking into um some of the music let's let's chip into some of the uh the creative process that you go through um what's what's the creative process at the moment when you're writing songs um, I guess a lot of this stuff for me, as much as we talked about the level of connection and wanting to give something, a huge part of this for me is catharsis. And I use writing so much as to clear my head and to get out of my own way as well. Um, so, so many of these songs can come from splintered fragments of just just thoughts and having a notebook. Um, for anyone out there that you know has anxiety or feels this way, having a notebook or an outlet is the best thing in the world. Now, the notes on your phone has changed the game, of course, but my notes are just full of thousands of fragments of thoughts and getting yourself out of your head has been so big for me. So, I mean, I guess a lot of the songs as a story or a lyric start at that point and try and, try and explain that thread or draw that thread out and get deeper into it has been a huge part of how I write anything. It's so funny when you start to reflect on these songs, it might start at a certain point and finish up somewhere you had no idea. It kind of just runs its own course for me. It's really interesting. Yeah, I think journaling, um, whether you, it's, it's, I, I say it a lot. The journaling's not just for sixteen-year-old girls. It's, it's something that you should be doing from the age of six to sixty. You know, or you know, without uh, <laughs> cutting off people earlier or later. But the idea is that at all ages and all times, you know, getting your thoughts out onto bits of paper allows the shame and the blame to come out of those things. It allows you to process, reflect, and then progress. Um, and as you said, if you can put that in a, into something creative and make something out of the muck, you know, create the Lotus out of the mud. It's, um, it's such a beautiful cathartic process. And I think you, you bang on the money. I think you bang on the money. So when you're writing, for example, um, you know, do you write lyrics first or do you write the music first or do you, do you, does the music from coming from the boys? What's, what's the process? It's kind of all those three things at once. So like we've written songs that have come from a, a random thread or, a, you know, a, the way a sentence sounds or a phrase sounds. But then also a lot of the time, Tom, who is that guy who dragged me out in acoustic guitars 10 years ago, um, will send me something that he's written. And I'll be like, holy shit, that's this lyric I have here is that mood and that feel. And those ones, especially the ones that just come to you are the ones that, are good and it seems like the ones that people connect with the best too like our most popular ones are the ones we haven't flogged ourselves over and dragged ourselves over the coals to get a result our best songs are the ones that have just literally i've heard something going oh that's that's that feeling that's that moment and and it's so funny because it's not only you that gets that it's a listener as well they instantly seem to make this connection of that was a you know that's something they've just put together and it's come so naturally rather than just flogged yourself for some people might have different ways of how it works for us but we've always found the ones that come naturally are the ones that just seem to connect and come out well yeah it sounds like that you catch the spark and then the, then the audience if you're able to capture that into an entire track you don't lose that essence and, and the and the audience are able to hold on and then they their little candle lights up when they listen to the track and and then they're all holding lighters in the air to kind of you know as a metaphor in terms of songwriting, do you think, I mean, I've got my opinion, but do you think that your songwriting is getting better? Is it getting worse or getting harder now that you've written so many tracks? I think it's all three things at once. I also think that maybe I am starting to understand 
how I actually do write songs. And actually, you know, for years I just thought that, you know, it just kind of happens. But there maybe it's a bit more formulaic in your own head than you realize. And um, I've kind of given myself a break more and try not to beat myself up about it as hard as I used to. And I found that when I do that, I write way better music. But like I was saying before, I've had to force it at times. And when it's happened, it's been like, this is a drag. This isn't why I wanted to do this. But if you give yourself a break, and I've actually, the best one for me recently has been write something completely different. Uh, Write your own, write a solo one or write anything, you know, just some, give yourself a break away from it and it will start to come to you again. But I've really found that I don't work well when I'm just flogging myself over one idea that isn't any good. Yeah, the um the lead singer of Bad for Lashes um was speaking to Tom York about a similar thing. So she now uh she used to just do music, 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 music. Now she does arts and painting and all kinds of different creative outlets so that she comes back fresh. This the track that you've just released, you know, this selfish love is, you know, as I said, the songwriting has just gone to that next level, I think, on that one. But then there was a track that you guys, an instrumental track that you open up the the the, the previous album with called Stay. Um, and I love that instrumental and there's a, the final track's got an instrumental introduction to it. Um, which again, my buddy, Jamie P's Limon, um, both of our buddies, you know, we're a huge fan of that. And we're actually thinking about using that for one of the promo videos for the film, but is there going to be some more instrumental stuff in this new album, uh, that you guys are creating? Actually, um, we just, we're putting together a little piece this morning. It's not. I guess it's not instrumental because it's going to have lyrics, but it's a completely different instrumental part than we normally have. So we haven't thought about doing anything else without any lyrics, but the way this song is starting to come about, this one I was working on the last couple of weeks, is a completely different style for the band again. Yeah, I don't know if that really answers your question in a roundabout way, but yeah, it's going to be some... I guess we want to start doing, you know, exploring different things and the, the latest couple of tracks we've put out do sound like far more mature approaches to the band, I guess, as well. You know, something different. We kind of found what we want to do. Yeah, it it, it did answer it, and and I'll and I'll be a bit more specific. Um, there's you know there's an Aussie band out there, Sleep Makes Waves, that are just completely instrumental, sort of progressive rock, and their music's supremely emotive without the lyric. And I think you guys are able to capture that in in songs like Stay. Um, so I think what you know, it almost rounds off nicely to the feelings of what you're trying to deliver in a lyric and in a vocal is matching the the emotive sort of soundscape that you're bringing together. Um, and, I, and I think, you know, with, as we said, with, um, you know, the selfish love, I think you've got that emotive sort of music behind and then you've sort of matched it perfectly with the, the lyric. And that's why I think that song sort of just sort of stands out. I mean, there's some incredible tracks on all the other albums, don't get me wrong, but I think as a progression in terms of songwriting, feels like it's moving in that, in that progressive direction. Totally, man. And that's what that, I guess that song is a good example of getting a mood and playing with that mood and not trying to fight the way the song is going. So, man, I got that song, especially the last two. Um, the boys sent those over as basically full, full guitar parts and instantly on both those songs. I had a feeling or a mood of where it was going and not fighting that mood has become so important because if you let it take you where it wants to take you, you get such a better result, which is what you were saying. You know, it had an emotion before I started singing on it at all. Yeah. Gorgeous, man. Um, and even this is a, something that really interests me because I've been around bands and, and work with bands in, in regards to some of these decisions that, that they need to make. But I mean, you guys starting out in a small city, I guess, in terms of Australia, you know, you're, you're building up, then all of a sudden you're, you're main staging, you know, at what point and how do you make the decision to then invest in an overseas tour or what's the process like there from going from Australia, who is at 20 million to an international tour? Because what I want to do with this podcast is, is obviously inspire young, young musos or inspire artists or inspire athletes, emerging athletes, whatever it is, to, to believe whatever their dream is that they're going to be able to achieve it, but also give them strategies um, and a little bit of structure around perhaps something um, that they might not know yet. Yeah, cool. Absolutely, man. So um, before we first went overseas, our goal was to make some connections with some other bands that were in kind of similar Similar genres, I guess, um, 
And what's always been a big thing for us is picking a band who maybe hasn't been out here before uh, with a view to going back with them. So building these connections has been so important because our first tour ever um, in the UK and Europe was incredible and a really good support tour, which we'd never have the chance to do if we hadn't built that relationship to start with. So I guess something I'll even tell, like this might be going away from what you're talking about, but people remember things so clearly about who you are and how you acted. So we always tried to be like we keep saying, we try to be open and make these connections, but it was really important for us to build those relationships because those random off chance meetings um, that then was followed up with an email say, Hey, what can we do together? Eventually has made these beautiful things happen. You know, I'm, I met people like you because we connected over something. We kept in touch and then we got to do something together and we're doing it again right now. So the, like a real, my biggest piece of advice I give to anyone, this is I'm not striking away from it again, but is those initial connections are so important. Um, people remember stuff so vividly. If you are a certain way to people and they recognize that you, you know, you're in it for the right reasons, they will want to connect with you and collaborate. So those early days of maybe playing a festival with a band from the UK and then keeping in touch with them um, just because you happen to be mates and then you can build those connections and those relationships to then say, oh, actually now we're going on tour with you overseas and then you're coming back here with us. And that was always a big thing for us, making those connections to make it possible to branch out and to leave Australia for sure. It's very poignant that you mentioned that, that everyone I've had on this podcast from the start until now has said that authentic networking, you know, and that, as we said, and, and when we talk about authentic networking, it's it's going in looking for a personal relationship with nothing to get, nothing to gain from it. It's it's to give and be personal and be authentic and be honest and genuine. And and as you said, as a teacher, you're going in with an active ear, looking to see what you can do to help them succeed, you know, or help their or support their growth. And every single person has said the same thing: relationships, and uh, is is one of the most important things in life for a positive impact or your own personal progress. Totally, man. And like you said, um, even though I mentioned that meeting these people and then uh, you know chatting and then eventually doing something together, that genuinely came about organically because we happened to you know, chat and have something in common and we actually wanted to spend that time together. It was a genuine relationship to kick something off. You know, It wasn't this, hey, I'm going to suck up to this person and go on tour with them somewhere. It was that we had this connection that we built and it was genuine and we, you know, made something awesome happen out of that. And that's such a cool thing. I mean, if that was the end of the band today, then I got to do so much cool shit just from going to hang out with my mates. It was just, you know, it's just crazy. There's an adage that says, you know, people don't remember what you say to them. They remember how you make them feel. So if what you're saying is, is, you know, come in genuinely and just pretty much if you're a good guy and just don't be a dick, you know, if <laughs> be a good person and look to give and you know if the universe wishes to spoil you will receive what you need to receive totally man i i, I have a grade 10 like a pastoral care home group and uh the start of the year i was like look whatever happens this year just remember people remember when you if you are a dickhead people will remember that so much they might not they might forget that you were just you know, generally quite nice and they they might just forget you as a person because you didn't strike them anyway. But if you are a dickhead, they are going to remember that so quickly. You have no idea. It's, and, you know, the music industry, I'm assuming it's the same in sports industry. People talk so openly to each other. Um, such a small world that everyone hears about it. You know, you think you might think that maybe they won't, but everyone hears about stuff instantly and you have a reputation before you know it. Okay, if you, like me, froth on board sports, you must get yourself a board rack's board rack. Whether it's snow, surf, skate, sup, whatever you like to ride sideways, if it's a board, board racks has a rack for it. They even custom fit racks to your house, your garage, your room, whatever. And I'm pretty sure Matt even made a board rack's guitar rack for some famous muso, so he is very accustomed to making custom board racks. Now, I had Matt fit a uh, flat racks in my garage and it cleaned everything up off the floor. It kept my boards safe and made them uh, made the room look superb. It looked epic. 
Now, and I bought a freestanding rack for a mate and he had it in the same room as his newborn baby. So all his babies in one room. Now, handmade Aussie timber ships worldwide. Board racks, board racks are handing down the best racks on the market. So if you want to get your hands on one of these bad boys, just head on over to www.boardracks. That's B-O-A-R-D-R-A-X.com.au. And if you put in the code MAPLIFE at checkout, that's M-A-P-P-L-I-F-E, Matty will sort you with 10% off and he'll get that out to you ASAP. So that again is www.boardracks, B-O-A-R-D-R-A-X.com.au. There's a couple of questions that I like to fire off at the end of an interview. Are you willing to have a look at them? Of course, mate. Absolutely. Beautiful. We got some questions. Question one, buddy. If you could invite anyone to dinner, who would it be and why? Holy shit. Um, I'm a huge I'm a huge basketball fan. Um, I've got a real thing for the Celtics, uh, the Boston Celtics, and I've got Larry Bird. a tattoo of Paul Pierce <laughs> on my leg. He he's a later later one than uh, Larry, uh, but Paul Pierce for sure. He is such an inspiring person. What he did and what he managed to do, and he followed through on everything. So I think I invite Paul Pierce around. Epic number two. <laughs> uh, what is one of your favorite films and why? Um, shit. This is gonna absolutely smoke me. Uh, now I can only think about what I've seen recently. <laughs> you got me on the spot here so bad. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, just because I can't think of anything else, because uh, I watched Parasite the other night for the first time, and it is fucking incredible. Such an amazing story about the little webs that get weaved through through life and all these little things happening yeah it just got me really good i'll have to think about the ones that aren't from fucking this year now <laughs> if, it, if it comes to you let me know Shit. um yeah I, will. I guess name one of the greatest days of your life uh one of the greatest days of my life it's so funny because we we're talking about before being present and a really big part of my life is i have been so bad at being present but i remember um we played falls uh we were in tassie on new year's eve on the big crazy stage in the late afternoon. And I, you know, I hadn't been drinking, nothing at all. And I walked out on that stage and we were in the middle of a song and I looked out and I was like, this is one moment I need to snapshot right now. And that was one of the best feelings I've ever captured right in that instant of being like, fuck, this is it. Like right this second. Yeah. Yeah. I love that bit. <laughs> and when you look, I mean, you look into the, look into the skies almost at the moment, where are you feeling that at the moment? Right in my heart, man. <laughs> right in my chest. Oh, that's beautiful. I lo- I'm, I'm enjoying <laughs> watching you go through it. To be honest, it's 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 amazing. It was, it's as it's as almost as beautiful. Well, it is as beautiful as the as when you were discussing the you know the impact you're having on your students. So, um, what uh, number four, mate? What rolls up your blood? Gets you gets you angry? Gets you annoyed? Uh selfishness, man. I think is a really a really huge hate of mine. Watching people put themselves first all the time drives me fucking crazy. Good, we'll get you out of that state now, mate. By going the opposite, <laughs> by opposite end, in, in what's what's lighting you on fire? What what gets you really excited or inspired? Seeing something new uh, and watching people, watching people I know do amazing things is just fucking insane. Um, yeah, watching my mates in other bands just like overtake us and eclipse us and me begging them to take us on tour is such a fucking cool feeling. Mate, that's unreal. As I said, such a giver, big heart, big soul, um, beautiful human being, mate. And as I said, I'm so stoked that we were able to connect and continue connecting as, uh, as life moves on, buddy. So thanks for, uh, thanks for your time on the podcast. And I think that uh, the audience have got some absolute treats in, uh, in this. So thank you, buddy. Thank you, man. I really appreciate it, mate. Have a great day. If you'd like to follow along with what the boys are up to, Luca Brazi, jump on Instagram at Luca Brazi Tazzy. That's L U C A B R A S I Tazzy, T A S I E. You can follow Ty on his own personal Instagram at Ty Richo, T Y E R I C H O. And jump on Spotify or wherever you get your music and listen to their new single, Dying to Feel Alive. It's an absolute banger. Until next week, lots of love.
Now, as a little bit extra for you guys, the MapLife family, the audience of the MapLife podcast, myself and our sponsors have put together a prize pack. What that contains, well, some very, very exciting little goodies for you. All you need to do is subscribe and review the MapLife podcast on your iTunes or Spotify, and also follow the three of us on Instagram. Very simple, at MapLife, M-A-P-P underscore L-I-F-E, at Hybration Organics, and at Board Racks, that's B-O-A-R-D-R-A-X. Until next week, lots of love, lots of fulfillment. Today's episode was produced by MAP, building greater athletes, artists, and leaders. Begin the process of achieving your dream by visiting www.maplife, that's M-A-P-P-L-I-F-E dot com.